you, Sean, for reading the text of Scripture for us this morning and praying for us. In 1972, NASA launched the exploratory uh, space probe called Pioneer 10. According to, the, to Leon Cheroff in time, the, satellite prime, the satellite's primary mission was to reach Jupiter, photograph the planet and its moons, and beam data to Earth about Jupiter's magnetic field, radiation belts, and atmosphere. Scientists regarded this as a bold plan, for at that time, no Earth satellite had ever gone beyond Mars, and they feared that the asteroid belt would destroy the satellite before it would reach its target. But Pioneer 10 accomplished its mission and much, much more. Swinging past the giant planet in November 1973, Jupiter's immense gravity hurled Pioneer 10 at the highest rate of speed toward the edge of the solar system. At one billion miles from the sun, Pioneer 10 passed Saturn. At some two billion miles, it hurled past Uranus, Neptune at nearly three billion miles, Pluto at almost four billion miles. By 1997, 25 years after its launch, Pioneer 10 was more than six billion miles from the sun. And despite that immense distance, Pioneer 10 continued to beam back radio signals to scientists on Earth. Perhaps most remarkable, writes Jaroff, those signals emanate from an 8-watt transmitter, which radiates about as much power as a bedroom nightlight and takes more than nine hours to reach the Earth. The little satellite that could have, that could, was not qualified to do what it did. Engineers designed Pioneer 10 with a useful life of just three years, but it kept going and going. By simple longevity, its tiny 8-watt transmitter radio accomplished more than any thought, anyone thought was possible. Many who saw Jesus that day at the temple did not know who this child truly was. All right. He was born as the king of the Jews, as the Magi's would tell Herod, but not in a palace, nor with any pomp and pageantry uh, suitable for a prince. Here's an ordinary Jewish child, a carpenter's son. That's all people could think of Jesus. Uh, they could not have picked out Jesus from the line of worshippers that morning in the temple, just as a baby in swaddling clothes. So was Jesus at the temple, an ordinary child. But Luke's purpose in writing this gospel was to help Theophilus, uh, his primary interlocutor, uh, to see the true identity of Jesus and believe in him as a result. Uh, this pericope that is before us that Sean has read for us uh, is intended to achieve that very end through the lives of two important figures a man of God and a woman of God. So in the first uh, four verses, 22 through 24, or rather three verses, uh, we read uh, that Jesus was brought into the temple uh, by his uh, parents. And this is what we uh, read, that he was brought in for a particular reason. Uh, 
And the first thing that we see as we read the text is this. Uh, lowliness makes, masks identity and makes people mistake him for an ordinary human. Uh, lowliness masks identity and makes people mistake him for an ordinary human. Uh, in verses 23 to 24, uh, Joseph and Mary were at the temple in Jerusalem to fulfill what was required of, required of them according to the law of Moses. Uh, Jesus is brought into the temple by his parents to fulfill something that they were supposed to have done according to the law of Moses. In Exodus 13, 2, 12 and Leviticus 12, uh, 2-4, uh, we can read about the dedication of the firstborn to the Lord uh, and purification requirements for uh, the mother. Uh, Luke's statement uh, reads like this, and when their time came for uh, when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, uh, is what we read at the beginning. Uh, it's an intriguing statement, if you will, uh, because as when we read through the Old Testament, the purification requirement was only for the mother. But here we read that, uh, and when the time came for their purification, uh, there are uh, some scholars who think uh, that there perhaps there's a, a textual issue here because... Uh, Joseph was not required to bring any sacrifice to the Lord this particular day. Uh, we do not know exactly why uh, he uh, did this according to Leviticus 12, 2-4. Uh, it was, uh, the purification requirement was only uh, for the mother, and in this case, Mary. Uh, why did then Luke mention that they brought for their purification? Well, Luke doesn't tell us the details as to why Joseph also brought the sacrifice or his name is included. The plural is used here. Uh, it may be because Joseph too became ceremonially unclean because he helped with the childbirth. Remember, he was born uh, and kept uh, or, or was put in a manger and there weren't many nannies in those days available, I guess, and Joseph was the nanny. So perhaps that was the reason. Uh, or it may be because of the dedication of the firstborn uh, to God, uh, in which case you would bring offerings to God. Or, Joseph might be doing more than uh, what was required by the law. More than uh, what was required uh, by the law. Uh, look at what they bring to sacrifices. Like they're bringing two uh, small things. Not a lamp, uh, usually that uh, something that uh, wealthy people could afford. Uh, but something that the poor would bring to God. Two turtle, uh, a pair of turtle doves or young pigeons, uh, that is what was required of those who could not bring a lamb uh, to the sacrifice. This particular day, uh, the parents of Jesus uh, could not perhaps afford a lamb to bring for their sacrifices. It reminds us uh, of the fact that Jesus identifies himself with the poor. He was, of course, born into humble origins. The Magi's mistook him, right? Because he was supposed to be born as the king of the Jews, they uh, went to the right place as far as they were concerned, to the palace, because that's where the princes were supposed to be born. Not in a manger, not in a lowly abode. And yet, that was our Savior's 
birth. That is where he was placed. And look at his parents. God could have chosen any other family but Joseph or Mary. And yet, that is whom he chose. They were not the wealthiest among the people there, or wealthy people around. And the sacrifices they bring also remind us that Jesus was identifying himself with the poor. We read in Philippians uh, chapter 2, 6 to 8, like this, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Second Corinthians 8, 9 reads like this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is who our Savior was. He identified himself with the poor. Because the world could not have really contained the God of the universe. The God who created the entire universe could not have honestly offered him anything uh, that would be worthy of who he was. This particular day, when Jesus was brought into the temple, he identified himself with the poor. That might have been the reason a reason why others could not pick him out from the line of worshippers. Had he been brought to the temple as a prince, of course he would have come there with, uh, uh, with all of uh, uh, you know, uh, the pomp and pageantry, with all uh, of the things that would be suitable for a prince. But here is the Son of God, uh, the very creator of the entire universe, coming into the temple unnoticed by most worshippers that morning. And when we look at uh, Joseph and Mary, what we see is that even though Joseph and Mary are the parents of Jesus, and Mary and Joseph were told who this child would become, they knew the purpose of Jesus' coming, and yet uh, they did not think that they were beyond the law, that the Lord had established. Instead, they did what was prescribed according to the law. Sometimes uh, people would like to take an easy pass, right? Sometimes it's just like, you know what, when we open Scripture and read, a lot of us won't open the portion because we have read it once or a few times over or, or that uh, we have memorized the text of Scripture, right? Uh, we uh, take it so casually, and the parents of Jesus could have done just like that this particular morning. They did not necessarily have to do something uh, because here is the God of the universe coming uh, to their lives and coming uh, into this world. And they became the means through which God was bringing this great gift to the world, the God of the universe into the world. So they could have had some kind of pride in themselves, right? They could have really thought, you know what? Hey, we can take some cuts here. Uh, Lord, we are doing you a favor, so uh, give us some pass. No, they were not... Uh, doing any of that that morning. Instead, uh, what we see is that they were being very obedient to the law of the Lord. Sometimes we have to do things not because we want to or we have the luxury to do it, 
but because it is the right thing to do. They did it because it was the right thing to do, and it is written that they did it in order to fulfill what is written in the law of the Lord. We can only do what is right by the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Our natural inclination is towards sin. As we read in Romans 12:2, through the metamorphosis of our character by the transforming work of God, we are able to do what is right and pleasing to the Lord. How is our character formation this morning? We have been reminded that throughout this service, uh, Benji reminded us of that as well. Are we intentional about our character formation? Here's a great example in Mary and Joseph, who were intentional about doing what was right. Do we have a sincere desire to flee sinful passions and do what is pleasing to the Lord? Or are we blaming our circumstances or brokenness as an excuse? That day at the temple, many saw Jesus as any other inconsequential child. Right? There were many other worshippers. It was an ordinary day of worship at the temple. Just an ordinary Sunday, so to say. Well, for them it is Sabbath. So, also just was an ordinary day at the temple. And there were other worshippers at the temple bringing their sacrifices. Perhaps there would have been uh, a lot more other people or a lot others joining these families, their family members, to celebrate uh, whatever uh, sacrifices they were bringing. Although bringing sacrifice wasn't an easy thing in those days, right? Uh, because if you know anything about the Old Testament sacrifices, this is what we know that uh, the person who offers a sacrifice is the one who is supposed to bring the sacrifice to the Lord. I'm so glad we don't have to do it like uh, the people of the Old Testament because what happens on, on a worship day, you're bringing a little lamb. Oh, that's for the sin offering. Huh. George Chan must have done something. We don't know what that is, but, right? Or here is Jerry bringing uh, something else, right? You couldn't have hidden what you brought. So the people around would kind of know that, you know what, you are being sorry for something. Of course, these are for unwillful sins, right? There were no sacrifices to prescribe for willful sins. But you were thinking, you know, I may have uh, had to bring a sin offering this morning. So sacrifice or bringing sacrifice to the temple wasn't an easy thing. And there were a lot of people perhaps at the temple uh, that morning. And it was not easy for anyone to pick out Jesus from that line. Except for the one led by the Spirit of whom we read in verses uh, 25 following. As it was the case of most worshippers that morning in Jerusalem, are we also mistaking the Lord's grace and forgiveness for his approval of our lives? Does his gentleness mask his holiness or requirement of holiness from his people? Does salvation appear to be a mere mental ascent and nothing more than that? For many, Christ's appearance is unappealing. His tolerance is a license to carry on with life as normal. What about us this morning? Do we see Jesus as a little baby being brought into the temple? Or do we see him as just a mere human or the Lord of all lives? 
only individuals as as individuals we can answer this question how do i see jesus this morning i came to this hall uh, around 9 am and i have been seated here what have been my thoughts have they been about the lord how do i see jesus when we uh, talk about him uh, being on the cross or being born and placed in a manger do we only see him as this lowly little child or does he come across to us as the lord of our lives it is something uh, we must continue to wrestle with as we uh, read the text of scripture and we read in verses 25 to 35 about simeon someone who was different from other worshipers that morning there was one more person we will uh, see her very soon she will be introduced to us uh, in verse 36 that is anna but there were just two people uh, that morning uh, in the temple who could pick out jesus for who he was but others were all worshiping uh, supposedly yahweh that morning but only two so the first person uh, was simeon Uh, what we see with him is this leading of the spirit ushers in a new dispensation because Luke is going to mention three times that Simon was led by the spirit the spirit of the lord was upon him it was revealed to him by the holy spirit uh, this is the beginning of a of a new dispensation uh, because we if you look at the old testament and we see how god was dealing with the people uh, with the patriarchs Uh, god was dealing with them directly with abraham with isaac and jacob they didn't have to read a bible in the morning or the old testament in the morning a scroll in the morning to see uh, what god had written for their lives god was talking to them as a friend personal interaction with god i mean i can't imagine what those days would have been like right to talk to the god of the universe and he wants to talk to you that is how the life was that was one dispensation uh, a way in which god was dealing with the people a unique way of uh, dealing with uh, his people but by the time uh, moses came along after the exodus from egypt god is going to switch gears he is going to have a different kind of administration of his uh, work among people his people he is no longer going to talk to the people directly as he spoke with the patriarchs but he is going to talk to them through the mediators he he had appointed uh, Moses and and Joshua first uh, then the judges uh, kings prophets uh, etc etc so he would have these mediators the messengers who would speak to the people on his behalf and that is when the writing of scripture uh, would begin so we can see uh, a switch in terms of god's dealing with the people and here also as we uh, read in in, uh, in the gospel we see that there is uh, the birth of a new dispensation because god is going to again talk to people directly but this dispensation will be marked by two things the coming of the son and the overwhelming work and presence of the holy spirit in this new dispensation and that is what we would see uh, with the life of uh, simeon here uh, it's the beginning of a new dispensation and we read in verse 25 that the holy spirit was upon him and we read uh, in verse 26 that it was revealed to him by the holy spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the lord's christ 
And in verse 27, we read that, And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. So here is a man uh, led by uh, the Spirit, and Simon would have probably confronted uh, the parents of Jesus somewhere in the middle circle uh, or on uh, to uh, your right, the Gentile's court or the women's court. Actually, these lights look beautiful on my computer. I just cannot fathom what is going on, but yeah, it has gone outside the viewing area. Maybe uh, this is what happens when you are not on the cutting edge of technology or switch over. Are we using a Mac or a It's a Mac? Okay. Okay. I'm sorry uh, for the PC guys. Usually I would think this is what PC does, but uh, it seems we have some problem here. Okay, all right. Uh, but that in the notes uh, would probably help you. So uh, God's dealings as we begin here, we see that his dealing is going to change uh, with the ushering in of this new dispensation. We read in Hebrews uh, 1, 1 and 2 like this long ago at at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. God is speaking directly to his people. He is dwelling among them, even if it's for a short period of time. I'm talking about Jesus Christ being on earth, right? God in flesh, God incarnate, God in human form speaking to the people. And we will see throughout the ministry of Jesus the same thing as what happened uh, this particular day at the temple. People would not recognize Jesus for who he was. They could not tell the difference. Often uh, the oft-repeated refrain uh, on their lips was what? Was indeed the son of Joseph and Mary. Was indeed the, the Galilean. Why is indeed from Nazareth. Could any good come from Nazareth? Right? Uh, if he were truly a prophet, wouldn't he know who he is with, who is anointing his feet? We read the text this morning, right? These were the thoughts that people had about Jesus. Because when the Son of God came to this earth to dwell among uh, the people, he spoke to them uh, as a human being. With all his glory hidden. And the Holy Spirit would be very active in this dispensation, and that is what we see in Simon's life. Simon is led by the Spirit. Uh, it was told to him, revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, uh, that he would not see death until he had seen the Messiah. What a beautiful promise that would have been for Simeon. Uh, you know, I think I'm a little bit jealous of Simeon. I should say a little bit is actually an understatement. I'm really jealous of Simeon. To have been told and to have the privilege of beholding the Savior. But I have no idea what uh, it would have been had I seen Jesus face to face. If I were to live in the first century, I don't know how I would have responded. Would I have known him as the Lord of my life? No idea. But the ordinary people could not figure him out because they saw Jesus as just any other person. And for many today, Jesus is one among the many gods. Or he's a religious figure. But the question before us this morning is this, and I want us to think deeply about it, that who do you think Jesus is? 
uh, or uh, someone has phrased is, will the real Jesus please stand up? Who this real Jesus is? Because he speaks to you like a human. He lives among you like a human. But it is the dispensation of uh, the Holy Spirit. And Simon or Simeon, uh, I switch between Simon and Simeon. It's Simeon. Um, yeah, Simeon uh, is being led by the Spirit. And, and some descriptions are given about him. He was devout and he was righteous and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So here was someone who, whose description tells us a lot about this man. That he was a devout man of God. He was righteous. Nothing more is described. When we read about Anna, her age is mentioned. Uh, which tribe she comes from is mentioned. Uh, her life, a little bit history about her is mentioned. But with Simeon, nothing. Just he was a devout and righteous man. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for the coming of the Messiah. That is all that I think even Simeon would want to have been introduced as. Nothing more. Here is a righteous man who was waiting for uh, the coming of the Savior. And he was someone who was uh, led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, uh, you know, when we look at Simeon being here at the temple this particular day, some might think that this was accidental. Humanly speaking, it looks like it was accidental that Simeon happened to see Jesus. But we are told that it, it was not an accident. Because as far as God is concerned, there are no accidents. Uh, right? Everything happens at the right time, in his perfect time. God does things perfectly well in his time. Neither early, never late. Simeon lived at the right time and was in the right place to see Jesus. It wasn't that he was the only one present that day at the temple, nor the only one led by the Spirit. There is Anna. His description tells us that he was someone who longed for the coming of the Messiah. Someone who wanted to see God incarnate in the flesh. And God gives him an opportunity. He was, it was in the perfect plan and purpose that Simon was allowed to see the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ that day. If we are in God's plan, uh, you know, God can accomplish things in and through us that will surprise everyone, including ourselves. Because people are surprised this day. Simon, Simeon is surprised this morning because he was able to see the Lord's Christ. And it was because uh, he was led by the Spirit. He was sensitive to the Spirit. So the question is this. Are we like Simeon? Are we sensitive to the leading of the Spirit? Are we eagerly desiring God and, and wanting to experience Him? Do we seek to delight in God's will for our lives? Learning to delight in God's will for our lives is very important for us as Christians. It's easier said than done uh, in, for all of us, including the preacher. But as Christians, that's exactly what we are called to do, to delight in God's plans for our lives, which may be quite different from our own desires and ambitions. Sometimes it, it may even mean difficulties for our lives. It may mean difficult choices for us. But if we seek to delight in God's plan for our lives and led by the, the Holy Spirit, we will be sensitive 
to the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. If we are in God's perfect will, we can plod on even when it is difficult. Even when it is difficult, if we are led by the Spirit. So the question is, are we like Simeon, led by the Spirit, wanting to see God for who He is? As we come to hear God's word, as we come to the church to worship Him, the question uh, that we need to wrestle with is this. Why are we here? Why do I do the same thing uh, week after week? Why? Is it because I seek to delight in God and His plans for my lives? Or for my life or for our lives? Or for some other reason? So Simeon teaches us this truth that if we are led by the Spirit, uh, we can live our lives in peace. And when it is time for us to live this life, we can depart in peace. That is what we read in verses 29 following. He breaks out into this great song. The song uh, is known as, uh, you know, Nunc uh, Dimittis. That is a nice uh, little Latin phrase which simply means, uh, now release, uh, which is the, lat the first two words in Latin. Uh, and this song is titled as such, uh, the song of Simeon. He says, now I can depart in peace. What does that mean? What does it mean for Simeon to say that, Lord, now I can go home in peace? Because there is someone who was waiting uh, for the coming of the, of the Lord, uh, different from others, uh, because he was someone who was led by the Spirit. And he says that now uh, you can, uh, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. This was something that was told to Simeon. He, was, uh, he believed God's word. He was sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. Now having seen the Messiah, having uh, taken the child in his hands and praised God, he is now again telling the Lord this, Lord, now I'm happy. I'm ready to die. That's kind of what he's saying. It's not something I would have said, but Simeon is different. Because he was led by the Spirit. He knew the purpose of his life. Like John the Baptist, right? No pretension as far as John the Baptist was concerned. Again, I don't want to get into that sermon. I'm sure someone will be speaking on the text very soon. But just a couple of statements about John the Baptist. Like Simeon, right? He knew the purpose of his life. Because if you read in John 1, uh, John's Gospel chapter 1, verses 19 following, a bunch of people are sent to John the Baptist to ask, about his identity. And they wanted to know, are you this or are you that? Right? He was asked, are you the Christ? He said, no, I am not. Are you the prophet? Of course not. Uh, are you Elijah? Are you kidding me? I am not. I mean, this is kind of his answer. Because he says, you know what? None of those. But then who are you? He says, you know what, I'm this voice crying out in the wilderness. Which doesn't even have a face, does it? When you say it's a voice, it doesn't even have a face, a name to it. So John the Baptist says, hey, it's insignificant who I am. But then what does he say? I'm here to prepare the way for the one who comes after me. Listen to him. This story is about him, not about me. And that is exactly what Simeon is telling here. He's saying, 
Lord, this story is not about my life. It's about your story. It's about the story of the very Son of God coming to this earth. It is a story of Him having a relationship with me. Folks, church, He has invited us to His story. What a privilege we have this morning as God's children. He has invited you and me, unworthy people, people who have uh, no credentials, uh, nothing, no pedigree to talk about, right? Invited into God's life, into His story. And once we understand that this is His story, I think even orientation of our own lives will change. Then we can seek to delight in God. If we understand that this is His story, what I do, what you do, is for His glory because we are part of His story. And Simeon understood that morning that it was part, he was part of Christ's story, the story of God. Therefore, he says, Lord, this was, since this was your story and my time is up, you know, I can now go and die, so to say. And that is what he says. And how could he say that? You know, it's not easy for many to say, even though uh, he had seen the Lord's Christ, you know, it, it would not have been easy for uh, Simeon to say that, you know what, Lord now sent me uh, away. Release me. Release your servant. It's like, you know, a watcher is asking God, you know what, I've been a watcher. I watched out for the coming of the Messiah. I have spotted him. Here he is. Now there needs to be a changing of guard. Has anyone been to Buckingham Palace to the changing of the guard? Well, it's not easy to, to get a, a front row, uh, like around the, the front gate. Well, I remember the time we were pushing and shoveling to get in first. But I think my height wasn't really helping, but somehow we were there as well. But, right, he is saying that, Lord, Lord, I was the watcher. I watched out for the Messiah. Here he is. So he's presenting to those worshippers that day at the temple the Savior of their lives, the Savior of the world. Here is the Messiah, the one who has come uh, to redeem you. And why could, or how could Simon say that, or Simeon say that? How could Simeon say, the Lord sent me in peace, let me go in peace. Release me from my job. I'm done with my duty, right? I'm clocking out. My shift is over, I'm clocking out. My job is done. It's because of the three things that he mentions here. The first thing is because he says in verses 31 and 32, he says, because God prepared this salvation before all the people. What does that mean, salvation before all the people? In Acts 10, uh, Peter says something very similarly in verses 34 and 35. He says, then Peter started speaking, I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism in dealing with people. But in every nation... The person who fears him and does what is right is welcomed before him. But looking at Jesus, he says, you prepare this salvation before all the people. Which means to say that here is the salvation of the Lord. This person is the salvation of the Lord. This person alone is the salvation of the Lord. Jesus Christ alone 
He is the provision of salvation. He is alone the provision of forgiveness of sin. He is alone the one who could forgive Simeon of his sins. No matter how many sacrifices he could have brought to the temple, none of those could have completely taken care of his sins. No matter what karma he did, no matter what he did, uh, how many prayers he offered, none of those things could have really mattered unless he had an encounter with the Messiah himself, the Savior himself. So he says, you prepared Jesus Christ, the salvation, before all the people, and my eyes have seen it. My eyes are blessed because my eyes had the privilege to see the Messiah in the flesh. That is what Simeon is saying. He says, therefore I can go in peace because I have seen the salvation that you have prepared for all people, including me. Lord, I thank you that you brought this salvation to me. That was kind of Simeon's uh, prayer that morning and his thanksgiving uh, that morning. This salvation was for all people because Jesus was presented before all the people. And the second thing he mentions in verse 32a, he says, the salvation is the light for revelation to the Gentiles. Uh, and we read in Galatians 3.8, uh, concerning the call of Abraham, this is what we read. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So the call of Abraham wasn't just the call of the nation of Israel for themselves, but they were called to be missionaries. So this was a missionary calling as far as Abraham was concerned. And that is why scripture says that, God foreseeing that he would justify the Gentiles by faith, called Abraham. And this is what Simeon is saying. That calling is coming to a full circle because I see the very son of Abraham, the seed of Abraham. A few verses later in Galatians 3, uh, 16 following, Paul would clarify that for us. When God made the promise to Abraham that you will have a, a seed, Paul says it wasn't about any seed but this one seed, that is Jesus Christ. So, Simeon could say that morning that this was indeed a revelation for the Gentiles. People like you and me, we are all, or were Gentiles, or are Gentiles, according to the Jewish uh, category. Uh, I was told uh, this humorous story of uh, uh, Brother Krishnanguti. Uh, no, he's gone to be with the Lord. Has anyone heard of him? Uh, some of you may have heard, right? But the Krishna Guti, uh, he was a man of God, came to know Christ from uh, uh, from a Hindu background, was used mightily by God uh, for the expansion of the kingdom. So he was uh, preaching and he was introduced by uh, the MC that uh, day. Uh, this is how he introduced. Here is uh, Brother Krishna Guti, whom God saved from among the Gentiles. So when he uh, stood up to preach, he said, I'm so glad to be among my Jewish brethren. <laughs> because for us who are born and brought up in the church, we feel like we are not the Gentiles. Gentiles are the other, whichever, whatever that is, you can fill in. The other, right? Well, we are all, or we are Gentiles still, according to uh, the, the scriptural standard. But uh, So uh, this salvation is brought to all of us. 
not only to Brother Krishna Guti, but to all of us, right? And that is the reason Simeon could rejoice that particular day. He says, Lord, I have seen this salvation that you prepared before all people. And, and Gentiles and, and Israel are actually further explanation of who the all uh, if you go back to uh, the Greek, and, and some of you have done that studies, uh, and if you know layout, uh, others can teach you what that is. You have learned in, in, in English literature mechanical layout? Layout in English literature, anyone? Right? All right, sorry. Uh, for, forgive me. Forget it. We, 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 I didn't talk about it, all right? Uh, so we can see that these are subcloses, right? The... This is subcloses, the main clause, and these are the subcloses explaining the content of the all that is that includes Israel and the Gentiles. So he says, This salvation is a light of revelation for the Gentiles. They were living in darkness. In fact, the whole world was living in darkness. Wasn't that the message of the angels to the, the shepherds last week uh, or two weeks ago? Uh, Brother uh, Liju reminded us, right? Good news for all people, right? This was good news for all people because uh, he uh, saw the salvation of the Lord. In Acts 26, 22 and 23, uh, Paul says like this, To this day I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So Simeon is saying something very similar. Salvation has come to all people, to God's people first, and to Israel. And we, the, third, uh, the second thing he says in uh, verse 32b, he says that and glory for God's people, Israel. And there are some references he may have in mind. Isaiah 43, uh, five, and, uh, 5 through 7, and a few other passages uh, he may have uh, uh, in mind. And so uh, we read uh, that although Simeon is talking about the salvation uh, that has come to all people, to Israel and to Gentiles, he probably was thinking more so about political freedom. Uh, salvation for them meant more so uh, as a political emancipation than anything else because they were being ruled uh, for so many centuries by other powers from the time of the Babylonian captivity. Uh, Israel was never self-ruled. Although they were autonomous at this time, uh, so to speak, they have relative autonomy, uh, but they were still under Roman rule. Uh, they had, they could continue to practice the religion and and, and so on and so forth. Uh, they had their provincial uh, setup, like the religious ruling. Although uh, Pontius Pilate was uh, the governor, uh, they had relative freedom, but they were never self-governed, self-ruled. Although I would say there is, uh, for about few uh, decades, under the uh, Maccabean brothers, they had relative freedom. But other than that, these people have not enjoyed freedom for a long time. So for, when, for Simeon, when he looks at God's salvation and redemption to the people of Israel, they would more or less think in political terms. 
So even though he is saying something, he sometimes does not understand the depth of what he says, right? Sometimes when we talk about the gospel, sometimes when we talk about uh, God or the salvation that is brought to us, I'm not sure if we understand the depth of what we are saying, including me. I don't think I necessarily understand the depth of it. I can repeat certain phrases without necessarily understanding uh, the depth of it. For example, and this is, we see this throughout scripture, right? John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, what was the first uh, thing he uttered? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. A little later, John would be put in prison. What happens then? He is sending two of his disciples and asking Jesus, Are you the one or shall we wait for someone else? Because this is not how I planned out the coming of the Messiah. And this is not what I thought the coming of the Messiah would do. Uh, it's beyond my expectation or, or uh, antithetical to my expectation. Uh, so people would be saying something without necessarily understanding. So for uh, Simeon this morning when he talks about uh, salvation, uh, probably more so in terms of political emancipation, political uh, freedom. And he says, uh, you brought this salvation to us. But for us, we know that the salvation wasn't necessarily political. A little later, the people themselves will find out, right? Uh, Peter asked Jesus in between, hey, we left everything, our net, you remember? Uh, the golden nets we had and all of that with the great catch. It's all because of our net. What shall we get? Do you remember reading that in the, in the gospel? Yes, because they always wanted to know what they would get. And in Acts 1.6, after the resurrection of Jesus, just before his ascension, if you read the text, this is what the disciples ask. Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Because they, were, they could only think in political terms. Because they had a tunnel vision. They were only looking at uh, freedom in that sense because they assumed that they were God's people. They were covenant people. Why? Because they were born into this covenant relationship with God. Sometimes that's how we think. Because I'm born and raised in a Christian home, I'm somehow a Christian. Right? When I say Christian in, in the American sense, Christian, or a born-again believer, I think we have to clarify that here. Just because I'm born into a, to Christian parents, into a Christian family, does not necessarily mean that I have any relationship with God. But people often mistook uh, that uh, in those days because they thought that they were the privileged people, they were the covenant people. By virtue of their birth, they had special relationship with God. Uh, well, although Simeon speaks the truth, he probably did not fully understand. And today, because of the revelation that has uh, come since, we know that this meant Salvation in the spiritual sense. Forgiveness of our sins. Because scripture says that all are sinners. And all deserve death. Eternal death. Eternal separation from God. And there is one provision. And there is only one provision that God has ever prepared. Under heaven on earth. That is Jesus Christ. The very Son of God who came to this earth, whom Simeon had the privilege to meet this morning. He alone is the only solution to our sin, for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus came to die for our sins. He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. So if you and I truly put our trust in him 
and make that offer of salvation ours, then we have a relationship with God. Not because we are born into Christian family, we will have a relationship. But a lot of uh, Jewish people uh, in Jesus' day did not understand this. That is why we read in John 1, uh, 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. How are we today? Have you had personal encounter with Jesus? Have you had personal relationship with Jesus? If you haven't, I would encourage you to take time to consider this Jesus because he alone can forgive your sins and my sins. There is no other. This is God's only way of salvation. And then uh, Simeon addresses uh, uh, yeah, uh, Jesus' parents, Mary, uh, and uh, he says that, Mary, you, um, there will be great joy because of the coming of uh, the Messiah, but a sword will pierce your soul. Your soul will be pierced because of what would happen to the end of Jesus' life and ministry. He would be crucified, and as a result, Mary, the mother of Jesus, who brought him into this world, would have to go through the agony and pain uh, of the loss of a son. So there is a prophetic word here from Simeon saying that Mary, because of this child, families will be divided. He came to bring both peace and disruption. And elsewhere we read that because of the coming of Jesus, families would be split apart. Why? Because those who seek to follow Christ uh, would sometimes be hated by others in the family who uh, do not have the same understanding and feeling. And verses uh, 36 uh, through 38, we see a, a different person. Uh, this is Anna. God's people, the third point we see is that God's people will break out in thanksgiving when they recognize God's presence, which is what Anna does. Uh, we read that and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phinuel, of the tribe of Asher, uh, and then in description about her. And uh, what does she do in verse 38? And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She could not hold herself back because she saw the salvation of Yahweh, salvation of God coming into the temple. She saw in Jesus Christ the Savior of the world. She could not hold herself back that morning. She is shouting for joy. She saw Jesus and what do we read? She is now beginning to praise God and, and speaking of Jesus to others. I'm sure people would have thought that this lady is crazy. And she is old, the scripture says. So they were thinking, you know what? Uh, the cuckoo thing has happened, right? She's gone cuckoo, right? You know, out of senses because she's old and she's looking at this little child and saying, what? Savior of the world. You are Messiah, my Messiah. And they will think, really? Because they could not see Jesus for anything else. But Anna, someone who was again a godly woman, someone who again delighted in God, could recognize God's presence that morning. Do we recognize God's presence in those moments in our lives uh, 
when we least expect him. In those places that we don't expect him, do we see Jesus? And then finally, the, the text ends with uh, the summary of Jesus' childhood, verses 39 and 40. Uh, we read uh, that, uh, you know, the parents took Jesus back to Galilee, to Nazareth, where he would then spend most of his public ministry in Galilee, although he would travel up and down uh, across Jerusalem and Judea and other places, but a chunk of his ministry would be spent in Galilee. And then we read that he grew up uh, physically uh, in stature and grew up uh, in wisdom and in favor with God. And some might wonder, uh, how is this possible? How can the very God of the universe gain wisdom? Right? Well, if we ask that same question about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the answer is no, he doesn't have to gain wisdom or, or learn anything because he is the very definition of wisdom. But when he came to this earth, uh, theologically we call there is something known as divine condescension. God is becoming less than himself by covering up his glory, by not making full use of all that he had access to. And therefore, he grew up like any other human being. He experienced thirst and hunger, right? He experienced pain. It was real. Jesus was a real human being but the very Son of God who came. So in his incarnation, because of uh, the aspect of condescension, God becoming less than himself or other than himself in Jesus, uh, please don't mistake that phrase. It simply means that he did not reveal his full glory while he was on earth. That is all that phrase means. Because of which he had to grow in wisdom. And that is exactly what Jesus did. So what we have seen this morning is this that when Jesus is present in people's lives and in places, only those who are led by the Spirit can sense His presence. What we have seen is that the meekness of Christ can sometimes mask His majesty. What we have seen is that those who are led by the Spirit will recognize God and His presence in places where it's least expected. What we have seen is this this morning, that God prepared the salvation for all people, for you and me, and the offer is still available. And it is free gift to all of us. Simeon thought of the salvation in one way, but God's salvation for all of us is the forgiveness of our sins. And we have finally seen is this, that Anna could rejoice in seeing the Savior, and she could not hold herself but praise the Savior, giving him glory and telling others about him. That those who know Christ and, has, and have experienced his forgiveness cannot hold back the joy of salvation, cannot help but share it with others. May God grant us grace to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world uh, to be born as a little baby, masking all his majesty and glory. Lord, many did not see Jesus for who he was. Sometimes that is true of us as well, Lord. We take him casually. 
we take him just as a friend but not as the lord of our life sometimes lord uh, we forget that he is in us and with us he is in our midst sometimes we forget lord we ask you to forgive us lord we pray that you would encourage us with the words uh, and from the life of simeon someone who was led by the spirit someone upon whom the holy spirit dwelt someone who became a reason uh, for god that day to reveal his son into the world in among the worshipers that morning uh, we thank you for the salvation that provide that you've provided for all of us the gentiles who had absolutely no recourse to that lord you have provided that salvation and has given that to us as free gift uh, thank you lord that you have opened this door for us we thank you for the life of anna that lord she could not hold her joy but share it with others father we pray that you will give us the courage and to the desire lord to do what is right and to share about the lord with others so that lord we too can proclaim christ to the world and we can rejoice with simeon and anna thank you for hearing us for we ask us in christ's name amen thank you.